Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's. Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man. I know Leeds United fans have an unbreakable bond with their former manager, Marcelo Bielsa. He was always going to be impossible to follow and all of that stuff. But you got to think... They must be starting to fall for this new man, Jesse Marsh. Not only did he keep them in the Premier League last season, not only has he got them into the Champions League positions after three games of this season, but he's also beginning to emerge as a master of touchline shithousery. Welcome to Monday's Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hi, fellas. Hello. Hey, Owen. How's it going? So he seems to me like, okay, before yesterday's 3-0 win against Chelsea, 3-0 win against Chelsea at Ellen Road, by the way, Marsh expressed his disappointment that Thomas Tuchel would be present in the Chelsea dugout. Tuchel's one-match ban for his altercation with Antonio Conte was suspended pending the Independent Regulatory Commission's written reasons for its decision. He won't be there, Marsh told reporters in a news conference on Friday before the punishment was announced. Are they saying he may be on the bench? That doesn't seem right. I mean, if you get a red card, you're out of the match. I would be disappointed if they allowed him to be on the bench. There's a simple rule in football, whether it's soccer or football, you cannot play the next match, says says Jesse Marsh. This coming from the man who was recently seen haranguing poor Bruno Lag into the middle of next week at the end of the win against Wolves on opening day. Do you remember that one? They had a bit of a bit of a spat there. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, and see, there's there, there's a cultural um uh, difference that we have to acknowledge here, which is that in American football, the coaches are, are on opposite sides of the field. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that you would be that close to each other is just something that Jesse has had to wrestle with. That's all. It's just another one of the cultural learnings he has to uh, has to take on board 
in our well, league. I did, our league you know, indeed. In our yeah. football. I did enjoy uh, then during the game yesterday, Marsh, his epic goal celebrations, one of which I would say was eerily similar to a Thomas Tuchel touchline sprint right past <laughs> Thomas Tuchel. And then the crowning moment, Caldu Koulibaly gets sent off with Chelsea already 3-0 down and Marsh reacts by lifting a fist into the air and celebrating as though his team had scored another goal. This is the type of behaviour that must be endearing him to his own club's fans. And I'm telling you, this guy's going to piss off a lot of rival managers. Watch this space. Well, especially if his team keeps producing football like they did yesterday. If he keeps whacking some of the top clubs 3-0 and then celebrating red cards and so on, I think he'll become... He's a figure to watch, is Jesse Marsh over the course of this season. Monday Night Football should be a good one tonight. Manchester United against Liverpool at Old Trafford. What a game. We're going to be putting out our own Monday Night Football show after the match. We will be recording a post-match reaction pod after the final whistle. We'll put that out as soon as we can for you. So it'll be a late-night edition of the football podcast for... All you night owls, all you Declan Rises, or an early Off morning Tuesday pod for the early risers out there. Whatever suits your own lifestyle. World Service members only, though. That is the one. That is the one point to be very clear on here. This is exclusively for World Service members. Whatever time you want to listen at. So to become a member and hear that show after Manchester United against Liverpool, you know what to do. Secondcaptains.com. A fiver a month plus fat. Miguel Delaney and John Bruin coming up on this weekend's football gone after Ken's report on sport. Well, Jesse Marsh, as you said, is going to piss off a lot of managers. Um, not just because of his uh, his uh, arguably ag- abrasive demeanor. He, he has an abrasive demeanor. He does. You know, he he. I mean, he's, he's very, polite, sorry, very affable, very affable in post pre and post match interviews. That's why I'm, it's kind of surprised me. It's just taken me a while uh, to to actually fully realize the the uh, the alter ego, the touchline. Ego, uh, hey, just an uh, alter ego, I should say, of Jesse Marsh. It's interesting to watch. He comes not to play, Owen. Um, and uh, it was even in the post match, he took a little bit of a shot at Tuchel. Well, you know, it was it was a retaliatory shot, you know, because Tuchel, Tuchel was pissed off, um, pissed off particularly with his own goalkeeper who who had effectively walked in walked in the first goal. Tuchel was calling it a known goal, which it wasn't technically, but I suppose it, his view is it might as well have been. Um, letting himself get charged down by Brendan Aronson, who said afterwards, Americans can play football too. <laughs> so Aronson and Coach Marsh uh, have established a pretty proud U.S. soccer beachhead uh, in the Premier League. And I think he's going to piss off. Uh, just just on what he said about Tuchel, Tuchel, um, Tuchel basically was saying, or, or Tuchel was confronted with the running stats uh, which was, you know, Leeds outran. Another thing that, that Jesse Marshall proud of, nobody outruns us. Um, Leeds had run further than Chelsea. And Tuchel kind of sarcastically was like, well, you know, I think a lot of you people sort of make this mistake. You know, you see the the running, you think, well, it must be to do with pressing. But, you know, you got to think about what actually happened in the game. You know, goal number one, bit of a mistake. He, he, said, he said about many. I don't think it's important to talk too much about these types of mistakes. And then he continues to talk about the mistake. Yes, that's unlike. But uh, <laughs> then uh, then there was a header from a free kick. And then, you know, there was a, a sort of a late one when, when Chelsea had sort of degenerated into a rabble. Nothing to do with pressing. Nothing to do with systems. Simply uh, to do with details, individual mistakes at moments in games. Uh, with the way we set the team up we try to have more chances we had chances we didn't take them they took they took theirs we made mistakes and that's it um and when this was put to marsh he said well he's entitled to his opinion but uh i thought the way we, we i thought the way we set up dictated the whole game 
And I think you have to sort of agree with Jesse Marsh. Absolutely, of course. Chelsea played badly and Leeds pressured them into playing badly. There's, there's always a bit of both. I think mm. that's, yeah, But I mean, yeah. I'm not surprised that Tuchel is being a little bit sour. Just and they did they did sort of run them off the field uh, to an extent. They looked really energetic. I mean, it looked like Bielsa before everything kind of went south. You know, um, obviously things under Bielsa became uh, like the players kind of... I don't know if they lost belief in what they were doing. I mean, they were still sort of running around, but like the kind of the light in their eyes had gone out. You know, it was they sort of didn't really feel as confident that they were going to get. They, you can only lose six nil too you know, so many times. You know, there's only so many sort of four or five, six goal thrashings you can take before it begins to sort of seep in, and you, you begin to wonder, am I really that good? Um, and and so they're they're in a they're in a pretty good place now, Leeds. And I think that one of the, the main ways that Jesse Marsh is going to piss off other managers is by making them look bad. That seems to be the problem at the moment, because we're going to get on to talking about some of the uh, underperforming teams. Leeds are obviously, uh, I guess, an overperforming team relative to expectation. I mean, that that win against Chelsea has has got to be Leeds' best win in the Premier League for you know since since before they were relegated. You know, I mean, they beat Man City. But they beat Man City mm, in a game. That, that 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 I remember that being a lot of fun. That was huge. I, mean, but I can remember Leeds United fans being pretty happy with that one. To be fair, it, it was huge. But again, it was uh, first of all, it was uh, empty stadium. Secondly, it was City have already won the league and are. This is twenty twenty one, April twenty twenty one. City were kind of had had shifted uh, focus to Champions League, um, and they won two one with ten men, which is a phenomenal result obviously but it was a really weird it was one of those games where you scored the two chances you get and miraculously survive um whereas this was like dominating and destroying chelsea who are don't forget leeds united's historic uh, rivals and hated enemies yeah. um maybe not quite as much as man united but certainly not far behind and certainly a lot ahead of manchester city so yeah things are going pretty well um and a lot of you know, owners, chairman are probably going to be looking at their sluggish teams and going, why can't we do that? You know, I mean, I can't name two players in the Leeds team and yet they've just beaten Chelsea 3-0. Why can't we do this? Um, I'm thinking a certain Manchester United manager might want a little bit of that. Well, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure he needs to worry yet about Jesse Marsh. I don't know. Only, I've just been watching Casemiro's um, institutional farewell, as it's called, to Real Madrid. Um, oh, yeah. In which, which consists of him giving a long and tearful speech uh, as he, he stands in, a, in, I guess, the press conference room or some function room at the Bernabeu with all of the great and good of Real Madrid assembled to bid, bid him farewell. And, um, you know, it's, it's like it was like a Viking funeral, you know, where they, 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 they uh, set fire to the to wooden raft and push it out onto the lake and watch solemnly as the flames consume. Except that in this case, um, Casemiro is going on a new adventure, not to Valhalla, but to Old Trafford. And from the flames will burst forth the phoenix of a renewed Real Madrid midfield, paid for by Manchester United. <laughs> uh, as Casemiro uh, tearfully makes his way north into the northern uh, gloom, Laurie Whitwell reports uh, that Varane was on the blower to Casemiro the whole time, saying, you've got to come. You, I'm really lonely. Please come. Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, we I thought you were going to say, it's a great club. We're moving together in the right direction. We don't know the content uh, of their of their yeah. calls. But what what he also reports, perhaps more pertinently, wages similar to 375 grand a week, David De Gea. 
package worth up to 140 million pounds. So that's the package. The package includes the transfer fee, which is, you know, as, as high as 70 million. I'm sure there's a few causes. Um, so remember, uh, people used to have uh, issues with players in their 30s. They wouldn't give them more than a, the, a one year deal, and you don't pay the big. I think I think Asmir is 30 now, isn't he? He's thirty. He's thirty-one in February. Uh, which you know, I'm not. I, I, listen, I think conditioning has changed, and there's in football, and there's there's every chance they could get some good years out of him. But just the thoughts of paying that kind of money and those kind of wages for somebody in their thirties was uh, was not really the done thing for a lot well, of clubs. Well, th- there is this sort of um, question. I mean, which which remains to be to be seen. I mean, you see the respect that Casemiro has held. Uh, I mean, it's it's it was a really. A sad but also happy day in the history of Real Madrid, as they bid farewell to a great warrior. I mean, this guy's won five Champions Leagues, which makes him one of the most uh, decorated players in the history of this club, uh, and clearly a popular player and well regarded, and has played an important role for that team. He now joins a very different team in a very different league, and you saw Kalidou Koulibaly for Chelsea, right? What did mm-hmm. Kalidou Koulibaly keep doing? Grabbing Fowder? people, <laughs> grabbing people who'd run past him and throwing them to the ground, going, oh, "No, you got to make me look really bad." And eventually, he did this too many times and got sent off. Um, Kulabali is someone who has joined the Premier League team from a slower league in his thirties, and that can sometimes be a difficult transition for players. Um, Casemiro was obviously going to do the same thing, and I mean, you know. <laughs> He is, uh, it's, it's, it's a tricky one, right, this, this signing, because I, I think basically it's not good. But I think, but in the short term, immediately I think it, it is good. He you know will improve I mean? the team, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think, I think in the short term, immediately it does improve the team. You know, I think he is a better player than they have in, in, those, in that position at the moment. Certainly uh, his record suggests this. Um, and you know it's good to have a, a, a very experienced player who expects to win. Um, you know, uh, this is all good. But on the other hand, I just think to myself, like, you know, look at look what Real Madrid have been doing. Like Real Madrid have signed Camavinga and um, and Chuameni, and United have paid for them to do that. Um, you know, why do Man United not sign this type of player? <laughs> you, you, you see what I mean? It's like, why are they the ones who are who are buying someone else's former great former great player rather than sort of building their own team? Also, they were trying to buy Frankie De Jong for a long time, and they've just bought a very different type of player from Frankie De Jong. Was that always part of the plan? Do they always mean to buy a Casemiro player, or have they simply bought Casemiro because he was a high profile player who they could actually mm. get? Um, you know, and then there's the fact that, okay, Casemiro could, you've got the adaptation issue, um, you know, we'll see how he does. And I can't see why he, why he wouldn't be good, at least initially. But the question is then with his age, you know, once if, say in the best case scenario, Casemiro plays well and becomes indispensable. No sooner has that happened than you're worrying about how are we going to replace him? You know what I mean? Like, so, so I just sort of feel as though once again, it's just a, uh, you know, a lot of the say if we there's going to be some protests supposedly around the game tonight. You know, and uh, and one of the big problems, obviously, that Manchester United fans have with the Glazers is the big picture financial situation. They've been taking money out, and 
meaning the Manchester United have been surpassed by clubs who, whose owners have been putting money in. And when you look at it, like, you know, when you pull back and look at the whole story of the last uh, 17 years, I mean, that's obviously been a huge factor. You know, if billions go out of one club and billions go into the neighbouring club and the neighbouring club is now much more powerful, obviously the story is related to these billions. But if you look down at more of the details of what's happened to all that money Manchester United has spent, which is a lot, there are a lot of moments when they've had money and just spent it in ways which haven't really been that efficient. They haven't really. So I wonder if this is, you know, it just seems like a, an expensive solution um, to a vaguely defined problem. Maybe a better than nothing though. You know, in the absence yeah, of any no, no, coherent, that's what I'm saying. In, in, in the absence of any coherent long-term plan, you might as well have some sort of short-term options. Like yeah, Casemiro. I mean, it is, it is, it, it, it is better than nothing. It is better than nothing. So, you know, and, and Casemiro is a good player. I'm not trying to say that Casemiro, oh, you know, he, he won't be able to handle it in the Prem. I'm not saying that. Mm. I think that he should, he, he certainly should be able to handle it. It's going to be different for him. You know, I mean, the Premier League, league matches are, are more difficult than the typical La Liga Real Madrid match. Um, he might find that winning a tackle and knocking the ball towards Scott McTominay doesn't necessarily result in as clean a win of possession mm. as it was when he was knocking your that ball to Tony Kroos. Your work is not Kroos. yet done. <laughs> yeah. yeah, your work is not yet done. Guess Time to bounce up and compete for that uh, second ball. So you know there are all these sort of there are all these sort of question marks, um, but you know again better than nothing and better. And, and would Jurgen Klopp take Casemiro? I think he would. I think he would because um, all uh, all the time Jurgen Klopp has been saying um, has been saying well you know we're not going to do anything else you know they signed Darwin Nunez they signed Carvalho uh, from Fulham they signed Ramsey the fullback from Aberdeen and he's kind of been saying for a while that you know that's that's pretty much it for us changed his message a little bit uh, in the in the uh, press conference. Uh, leading up to this game. So the quotes from the embargo section that only came out today, Klopp has been saying, or last night, I should say, um, you know, he's always being asked, uh, you know, do you want to sign a midfielder? Do you want to sign a midfielder? And he's always been like, well, you know, we've got injured injured players, so that doesn't mean, you know, that we're never going to see them again. Um, this time he says, this is, so this is a, a change, I think, from him. He says, uh, the question is, just to be clear, you're happy with the midfield situation? You got what you need? That will not change? Yes, when they're all fit, 100%. Now, of course, we know that they're not all fit. So I don't know. He doesn't give a percentage of how happy he is at the moment. Even then, we always look to strength that we have to. We always did. It must be the right player. If the right player is not available in this moment, we tend to say, okay, we deal with that, what we have before we sign a player who's not 100% right. That situation never changed. Now we have more injuries than we would have imagined. And now it would be cool to have a new midfielder in, of course. But for now, we don't know when they always come back. The situation changes constantly. You can't just do that. And then there's another fact. I am, we are not in charge of what we can spend. That's the situation. We get told things and then we deal with that. It was always the same and never different. So, you know, the fact that he's saying, you know, I'm not in charge of what we spend. Is there a disagreement in terms of uh, mm. what he thinks they should spend and what the club think they should spend? I mean, they haven't spent a lot, you know, when you look at their, their spending over the, over the summer. Uh, compared to some of the rivals. I mean, they obviously signed Nunez for a huge amount, but they've also sold players. So it's a t I think it's 10 million uh, difference between incomings and outcomings, which isn't a huge amount. Um, so, uh, yeah, it sounds like he's not too happy about it. Uh, they can't get Naby Keita to sign a new contract. Uh, he will leave for free at the end of the season if he doesn't. And, you know, the question will be if he plays tonight, because, you know, he... He wants to play, but maybe his performances haven't been consistent enough. Mind you, last season, one of his best performances was away to Manchester United when he scored uh, and played a very good game 
in that big win. So, yeah, it sounds as though, you know, he's not, Klopp, I mean, isn't super happy with how things are going at the moment. But that game is all tonight. We'll be talking about it enough. So yep. to, um, there's no, I, I should just notice a, a note at this point that uh, there was uh, the sad news from Roma that Gen, uh, Genie Wijnaldum, a man who I never mentioned without mentioning that he never gets injured, has broken his tibia. Huh. Uh, so that's a serious injury for him. And I suppose everyone gets it eventually. Uh, and hopefully he recovers uh, from that. So what else? Um, and we, we wish him well to... on that recovery as well. Just, just everyone gets it eventually sounded maybe more callous than you had. No, no, I don't mean to sound in, callous. I, I, yes, yes, I, yes. I wish him well, but this this guy yeah. was a was a machine, never injured, yeah. and then now suddenly he gets a serious one, and it just goes to show that uh, ultimately um, no one is no one is safe. What um, else is what else is happening? Well, it was the game of the season so far between Abu Dhabi and the um, Saudi Arabians. I'd go further, uh, actually, Ken. I would say that um, in this already probably the greatest Premier League season of its 30-year existence, we have the, it was a crowning glory. But, I mean, we can call it now. They already the referees have ensured that this is the greatest Premier League season of all time. The referees? The referees. Well, there was, there was yeah. some refereeing controversy, of course, in this game. Quite mm-hmm. a lot of it, actually. Yep. Right decisions um, were, 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 were uh, we, they got there eventually. Do you think? John uh, Stone's think was, probably a penalty, yes. That was a penalty. I mean, <laughs> oh, that was not a penalty. penalty. He just jumps yeah. into the guy, doesn't get, doesn't get near the ball. It's blatantly a penalty. They actually the stopped one, the yeah. game to, to, to check on the head injury and then just say, oh, well, you know, just play on. <laughs> the, 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 the other one was the red card that was given and then rescinded to Kieran Trippier. Darren Blaney emailed in about that said under the referee's new guidance of let it flow, I was pleasantly surprised to see a foul awarded and a red card shown to Trippier. Then the referee managed to remember his pre-season training when doing his own VAR review and subsequently rolled back uh, uh, as soon as he wrote back some of his embarrassment by reducing red down to yellow I struggled myself to decide whether it should have been a red or a yellow it looked very high and reckless so I probably would have gone with red however this is not my question my question is surely it's time to outlaw these professional fouls entirely with a red card these intentional fouls completely ruin the flow of an attack they are a scourge on the game it's blatant cheating it shouldn't be allowed to happen a yellow doesn't seem like sufficient punishment what are your thoughts? Um, well I mean, I've seen a lot of people make similar suggestions about that, or like, should there be some type of extra category of card? Orange for like, card and at the 10 minutes in bin, something like that. And the thing about it, like you see, okay, there was a few things about this. First of all, you saw how angry De Bruyne was, right? Mm-hmm. He, he And maybe De Bruyne's mistake was to spring up to his feet so he could, mm. almost immediately, so he could rage a trip here. Um, maybe if he had... Um, uh, if he had pretended to be more injured, the VAR would have, would have said, is that worse than it looks? Uh, <laughs> I, d- I don't know. De Bruyne, uh, he's too honest for his own good, perhaps. But also, the way the trip here was so, like, trip here afterwards was like, you know, I told, like, uh, I'm not a, I'm not that kind of player who would injure someone. Like, you know, I was trying to telecap that. And, you know, but I want to win. I want to win. And so he was completely unashamed of what he, he basically was like, well, of course, I, I just did it. I mean, I, the calculation is I'm taking a yellow card. I had to, I had to do it. He was in on goal, um, which makes it sound like, well, should this be a red card for a professional foul? But of course, there were, there, there were players there. I mean, he was in in a dangerous situation, mm-hmm. is what Trippier meant to say. I don't think that you need a new category of, of card. I just think punish these with yellow cards. Actually do give the yellow card. Actually do give the booking. And if you book players for them, you'll find that it could be. But the thing is that, that, that these fouls aren't even booked a lot of the time. The Trippier one is always going to be a card because of the spectacular <laughs> nature of the foul. You know, he's diving across at full length and he brings down a player who's in full uh, at full charge and um, 
it was clearly a major incident. I don't think it was a red card. Um, there, I mean, there are the the referee thought at first. I think the Trippier had caught him with his studs, and that would have been a red card. Um, that he come in from the side, studs up, and 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 yeah, that would, I think that would have been a red card. But if you look at it, Trippier does clearly trip him with the with the with the minimum of force that he can use using the outside of his boot, and it's a and it's a trip. Now it is high; it's pretty high. Is it dangerous? I don't think it actually was dangerous. Um, I mean, clearly, you know, you knock someone down who's running at full speed. You know, they could, I don't know, break their wrist. I don't know. Things, things can happen. Everything is a little bit dangerous. Fall, yeah. But I don't think, the, I mean, the other thing that Trippier could have done, I mean, I'm remembered of the famous Wayne Rooney sending off. There's a question for you, actually. Uh, how many red cards did Wayne Rooney get for Manchester United? Five. Four. Mm-hmm. Four. Two were for dissent. Uh, one, he threw the ball away in rage. One, he, he sarcastically clapped a referee. He just booked him and got a second yard yeah, card. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the other one, he, he elbowed Pepe in the head. Elbow, forearm. He definitely made arm-to-head contact. So that was uh, that was in a preseason game. But the other one, the, the kind of most, um, the one that always sticks in my mind is the one against Stuart Downing, where uh, Rooney had like lost the ball in midfield or you know was in midfield Stuart Downing runs past him and Rooney just chops him down in a kind of a trippierish way and the referee sends him off but the thing is that what Rooney had done was actually booted uh, Downing <laughs> like he just like it was a similar type of tackle but he but he kicked him like he he as though he's kicking a football he had kicked uh, Downing to make him go down whereas Trippier kind of extended the leg and tripped uh De Bruyne, so he didn't impart any extra force, you know what I mean? I think for that reason, it's in a different category. Uh, the way that he was so sort of, you know, proud of it, not, not proud of it, but like it clearly was like, of course, it, I shouldn't have been sent off, did make me think, you know, there's, there is something about the unashamed cynicism of it that is that is obviously not great. But I do feel as though if referees actually enforce the rules, then... Uh, the existing ones, I mean, then you wouldn't need to start thinking about like introducing extra types of cards or making that an automatic red card. Just make it a yellow card, and then if they do it again, send them off. Then it is a red card. So, yeah, I think that system would work. The game um, itself was pretty good, though. It was a good the, game. I mean, yeah. how long has Alison Maxman been the best player in the world? Like, um, <laughs> when did this happen? Yeah, like, the, it was like the watching Ronaldinho and fast forward. Yeah, the interview afterwards is pretty good uh, with himself and Kieran Trippier. Where Trippier was basically trying not to say, why can't you do this every week? Not just when <laughs> highly paid clubs are watching you tear them, tear them apart. Oh, I missed that. Was that, was that kind of obvious in, as, they were, as they were speaking to you? Uh, yeah, I, 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 I thought it was. Because <laughs> that is the underlying thing about Sam Maxman. And, you know, Shear even said it last night. If he, if he could do that every week, and the point, I suppose if he was doing that every week, like you're saying, Ken, he, he would be the best player in the world. The point yeah. is, he does that I mean, some was, of the time. But if uh, it's absolutely phenomenal. If he could do it against Man City, then... I mean, if he was doing it against the worst teams in the league, but not against Man City, then you'd say, okay, well, that's his ceiling as a player. But if he can do that against Man City, then there really is no excuse for him not to be one of the best players in the league. Well, just the speed of his feet, you know, I mean, the this, this speed, I, I don't, I mean, obviously the running, he, he was he was too quick for City to really handle. He kept getting into these awkward positions, sort of running at their centre-backs and, you know, just making, creating this air of chaos two assists and won the free kick for the third which by the way I I saw people sort of suggesting Ederson should have oh he's stepped to his like Ederson is not saving that 
Like, I, I just thought it was a perfectly placed free kick, which is absolutely hammered in. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be amazed if he'd, if he'd managed to save it. But um, I didn't think it was his fault. But uh, the other thing, the other um, player I thought he really stood out was Nick Pope, the Newcastle goalkeeper, who, you know, and again, I think we mentioned this before, but, like, I can't... This is an example of, of why Man United are stupid. Uh, again, I, I don't mean to use Nick Pope as a stick to beat Man United with, but, like, how obvious was it to sign him? And they've got Tom Heaton instead. And Nick Pope managed to sign, or, or rather Newcastle managed to sign Nick Pope for £10 million. It was an easy signing for them. You know, they could easily have got, have got him. And uh, instead they've got the guy who, I mean, they didn't just buy Tom Heaton yeah, this summer. But, you know, this is a guy who was benched by Nick Pope years ago at Burnley. And for some reason he's their backup goalkeeper when they have... You know, what I like about him is that he has, he does all these things that we were criticizing David De Gea for not doing. He's good at all those things. And as you see, he's also, like, he made seven saves in the game as well. I mean, he made one amazing one-on-one stop from Haaland, came close to saving the Bernardo Silva one, um, sort of come out of the area, swept up behind the defense. Is looks really good to me. Looks like probably the best English goalkeeper. Well, I mean, actually, funny you say that, Ken. Dean Henderson was pretty good the other day as well. And did you see Jordan Pickford's assist for Everton? Yeah, that was, yeah, that was, uh, that was impressive. I mean, Pickford, he does have that in his locker. Yeah. The, um, yeah. He had the check. I was watching him with the check. And Martin O'Neill, of course, Ken. And Shea was critical of Pickford for the goal. And wasn't a big fan, isn't a big fan of a lot of his long balls. Like sometimes it was a Packy Bonner like, uh, move by Pickford for the goal. Yeah, he didn't really parry a Packy Bonner pro- assist and a Packy Bonner Scalacci. But absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he shake him couldn't put him first. And Martin O'Neill was was uh, very nice. Yeah, very yeah. pleasant. Good, good, good knowledge. He obviously managed Forrest a couple of years ago, a few mm. years ago. So I was going to say he knew a lot of the players. I mean, they've practically replaced their entire squad just in the last two months. <laughs> but yeah. he knew a, a couple of the younger players, including the goal scorer. Yeah, Brennan Johnson, the goal scorer, nicely taken goal, uh, which nearly consigned Frank Lampard and uh, Everton to a third defeat in a row. But yeah, I enjoyed, mm. I enjoyed O'Neill, uh, Martin. I have to, I have to. I'm calling him Martin now, of course. Martin, your mate. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I found, I just, I just watched it back and realized I used the phrase, you know, when you're talking to somebody and you, you obviously you just take on their mannerisms. This usually happens over time, you know, yeah. over over a long period yes. of time. You immediately begin to mirror Martin O'Neill. Well, at one stage, uh, he said. He said there has, there has to be a half time. There has to be a wee bit more to Everton's game. I in the heard you say half. I don't. I heard you say <laughs> <a wee> bit. <laughs> I did. Yeah. I said there was a, well, there was a wee bit more to the Forest game as the half went on. See, I love a good segue. And I think maybe that, yeah. oh a my God. Jordan, like, Jordan Pickford was proper scundered by that shot. Definitely the first time I ever used that phrase. But uh, yeah, sorry, back to back to the goalkeeping rogues of Nick Pope. Nick Pope. Well, well, of course, uh, City did manage to beat him just three times. Um, but the, I, I think Guardiola is always a bit more concerned with uh, with what happens. I mean, when he concedes three, it's a shambles from his point of view. Um, and he made an interesting point. Um, he's, he's had a couple of these moments actually recently, Guardiola, where he seems to be talking a bit more open, not openly is not really the word, but sort of in a bit more detail about the problems that he sees in his team. And just listen to this was his, uh, you know, Dr. Guardiola's uh, diagnosis of what went wrong in the game for Man City. The only problem is is that it's difficult to know, but when we break the lines and we can run, you know, the tendency is to finish the action. If you finish the action, is not a problem. But if you don't finish, you don't arrive to control Maximino Almiron. And after they run, and after it's a problem. We should spend more time in the final third. 
give more passes in that moment. But it's difficult because Erling is going, Phil have this, you know, aggression to go. If Jack play there and, and Riyad or, or Bernardo play in right, they have more calm and they help us to come all together. And when they lose the ball, we are there and they cannot run. And in the first half, the problem what we lost the control, it was like this. So when actions we can run, we lose the ball, the back four is still so far away, contact with some players and Maximino, when he take it, he can turn and run. You have to defend it with Eddie. You don't have another option. This was a little bit the problem that we had today in the game. So I thought that was like, I can't remember on too many occasions hearing a manager talk about how the, his, his team's attacking needed to be slower. Uh, I mean, yeah, I suppose you, you hear managers use words like patience or phrases like, you know, play the play the extra pass or stuff trap. like that. Trap to trap tra- to trap to trap to trap to trap to trap to trap trap talking with Damien Duff. Damien Duff's main problem being ju- just running too fast. He wanted him to there was something along those lines in the early days. He, he, made, he made a point about Duff that I'll, I'll look it up for you, Ken. I'm almost certain he did. Well, um, you know, that was interesting though from, from Guardiola because, you know, it, sh- it shows the... I think the player that he's kind of criticising there yeah. is Foden, really. He was pissed off at Foden because remember after the last game, um, Foden had that shot which Travers saved and Haaland was screaming for the ball in the middle. And Guardiola said specifically, they need to learn that now Erling is always going to be there and you've got, you've got to play that pass. And then the same situation arose in the first half of the Newcastle game and again Foden shot. And Guardiola's reaction was, was pissed off, obviously. Um, what are you doing? So what he's saying there is, you know, we, we have this tendency to sort of run up and, and we're attacking fast and then you want to shoot and that's a natural thing. Fine if you score, but then if you don't, you get counterattacked. And this was the problem that City had in the game. So we need green, we need Grillo. We need Grealish there, just patiently strolling around. Stroller Grealish, just getting the ball, swapping, swapping passes with Cancelo, letting everyone, letting them form a defensive phalanx around Haaland in the middle. And so we can play our football. And that's how we control the game. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it sort of shows the kind of counterintuitive way maybe that he looks at um, some situations in football. Um, and as to what he's going to do about that, well, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, Foden maybe spend a little time on the bench after his. Although, then again, Grealish is, apparently has a groin problem. So they're playing Barcelona in a friendly this week, uh, City. Um, so Grealish will not be involved and that they're not taking him out to Barcelona it seems but uh, maybe he'll be back for the next game I'm not sure yeah. I mean when you've got players then who can thread a ball through like um, Kevin De Bruyne who's passed I mean I think he takes five Newcastle players out with yeah. one ball and uh, okay he gets maybe a little bit lucky there's the, the ball sort of deflected through the legs of, of the player he was not making to Bernardo Silva but um so yeah, it, it was a good game, at least. Um, what else? Other By the way, a quick, a quick Google search doesn't seem to be returning any results for Trapattoni critiquing Duff for uh, <laughs> doing too much running or, or playing too fast. So I might have to mm. row that one back unless anyone can recall uh, something that seems to be in the back of my brain. If anyone can work out what I'm thinking here, then... Uh, and back it up with some cold hard data then I'd, I'd appreciate a, an email to editor at secondcaptains.com what else is happening Ken a few managers well, under pressure already well yeah I mean we mentioned Jesse Marsh making them look good everyone's like why can't you be more like this guy Jesse Marsh and there's a few managers who are having this problem at the moment one of them is Brendan Rodgers uh, who starts the season is going horribly wrong I mean that you'd assume they're going to beat Southampton when they take a 1-0 lead in the second half 
doesn't work out that way. Um, they're also uh, have Wesley Fofana not involved because he's not in the right frame of mind. And Tielemans also on the bench, um, not for injury reasons. Uh, and then they lose to Southampton, who have been themselves not having a great start to the season. This is going really wrong really quickly. Um really wrong really quickly and uh, I don't know I don't, I don't think it's a comfortable situation for Brennan Rogers to be in uh, and I'm not sure how happy Lester are about the, the whole the whole situation either um, but there are also big problems for Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa who again lost uh, I mean we've we've talked a little bit about about Gerrard's whole stuff that stuff at Mings you know where he kind mm-hmm. of busted Mings down to private and then had to put him right back in the team because the guy who was meant to be his replacement uh, snaps his Achilles um, that's not good. Uh, they then lose to Palace. You know Zaha again, another brilliant finish by him for the first goal. Um, you know the, a bit of whining about the referee doesn't conceal the fact that Villa are being outplayed by Crystal Palace, a team that don't have the kind of resources that Villa have been investing. Um, last, and but you know again, Villa have been investing resources in players like Coutinho, who was on the bench for the start of the game. Now this has become a kind of a controversial uh, issue for Gerard, who reacted last week uh, to a question about uh, Emiliano, Emiliano Buendia. Buendia, who remember Buendia was the record signing of Villa, and then Gerard decided to bring in Coutinho, who basically plays the same position mm-hmm. or certainly a very similar role in the team and the question has to be whether these two guys can play together and if not then the question has to be why have you invested a lot of our money in someone who's replacing someone we just bought for a lot of our money this doesn't make any sense Wendy is now outperforming Coutinho and this was the question to Gerard, like oh you know yeah has he uh, in his substitute appearance you know, has he done enough to start and Gerard's response was did you not see the good substitute appearance by Leon Bailey as well <laughs> which was kind of like well, hang on a second. You know why do you, why do you react like that? Because why can't you just say something nice about Emilio Wendy? It's not as though he's a walking embarrassment to you, is it? <laughs> Surely you don't mean to suggest that like Buendia's presence at the club is you know. Anyway, he did start Buendia. Um, it didn't uh, ultimately uh, turn out to be a better result, but I thought that was a strange response, which showed a bit of the tension that he's obviously feeling about that. Now remember Jared's brain, Michael Beale, his so-called brain. Uh, walked out the door uh, in the summer to be manager of QPR, uh, where he was over the weekend held to a one-all draw by Chidozi Ogbenes. Uh, Ogbenes scored again uh, for Rotherham. But um, in the absence of their brain, Villa looked like they're out of ideas. Now, the next game that they have to play is against the other crisis manager, who's David Moyes. Mm. Um, and West Ham just seemed to be struggling horribly to sustain the form that they showed last season. I, 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 I also feel when I see Moyes afterwards, he seems a, a bit resigned to it. I, I, I would have expected a bit more fire or anger or something. Maybe I've just seen the wrong interviews, but it mm. felt like after... Particularly after when the it's August, the weekend, you know, it's like... <laughs> He was sort of, yeah. yeah, no, we didn't play well. Obviously, we want to win. It was a bit, uh, I, I, I don't know, I just kind of thought there might, he might be a bit more, I'm sure maybe he's, he's uh, you know, throwing it around behind the scenes, but it is a very strangely poor start by West Ham considering well they were good for most of last season well West Ham finished 7th last season and it's always such an awkward place to finish I think when you're, when you're 7th you know I mean it depends okay if, if Man United finished 7th they, they feel bad about that um, uh, you know it's a bad season if West Ham finished 7th it's a good season but 
it's not that good. Well, particularly you know, considering where they were. I mean, they blew it really. Yeah, they were. They, were they did in a strong and, position uh, for a long time. It's 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 good. And so you kind of you think of yourself. Your sort of expectations have have evolved now. You're thinking of yourself as kind of looking up the table rather than sort of down the table. But it's actually pretty hard work to finish there. And West Ham's style is a hard working, attritional, kind of a is grim to emotionally charge the word instead of football. <laughs> I don't think it's as fun to play that way as it is to do what Leeds are doing. You know what I mean? I, f- I feel as though it, when you're asking a team to play a style where they run a lot and not every, the squads are all different in some players, some squads rather are more suited to it than others. And Leeds have kind of, have been for a while, have been, have had managers who want to play this type of football. But I just feel as though it just, it's more exciting to be, part of that whereas West Ham started off the season by saying against Man City all right play through us if you can and then they easily did <laughs> you know what I mean and and like it, they, they they lost the game and it felt like they had they'd barely been involved in a game and like last season they got to the Europa League was it semi-final um and were disappointed to to lose in the way that they did felt they could have won that competition which would have been just a, a massive achievement for I the don't club. forget the ref the ref game yeah Robbed. Oh, the ref and the ball boy, of course, who Moisey ended up kicking the ball at. And, um, (laughs) and. Yeah, I'd actually forgotten about the ball boy. Yeah. Well, well, you know, and and then it's like, oh, we've got to do it all over again. And I kind of feel as though there's a bit of a a sort of a weariness about them, uh, which is a very bad thing to have at this point of the season and suggests to me that whoever loses the game between Aston Villa and West Ham, uh, and maybe even actually whoever wins the game, but certainly whoever loses the game, is gonna be uh, is gonna be in trouble, um, pretty soon. I lost. Yeah. Fuck sake, I don't lose it. They shouldn't interview you now. Wait, I don't lose it. I'm fucked up. Oh, fine shit. You get me in ten minutes, I'll be all right. They should, should, shouldn't interview you now. So I better go to go now. Or first. First, first, I have some coaching questions. Too late now. What's that? Are you interviewing me or not? Seriously. Come on. Is there an explanation for this? Is there an explanation for this? You could be my mama and I'll be your boy. Original road boy, never my coy. We know you as a very good dark player. Not playing shit. Fuck's sake, I don't know him. But is there an explanation for that, Lord? No, of course it's not. Of course it's not. How do you prepare for the last match then? These are the questions that you should be asking. When we're live. No, oh, we're live now. We're not live now. Yeah, we're live. There you are on television. I'm serious. Yeah. Well, I was not told. Sorry? You should have been told. Oh, I thought you know. Well, do I prepare? I'll prepare to say. If I win, I win. But I cannot keep playing like this. This is no good. When our Premier League season previewers, John Bruin and Miguel Delaney, are back on together after three rounds of matches. Hey, John, how are you? I'm okay, Owen. Thanks for having me on again. Good man, Miguel. How's the form? Not too bad. Too bad. Feels like a pretty exciting start to the season, Miguel. There's a lot of lot of fast and furious football, and already Liverpool and City are dropping points. Yeah, some great moments and games, uh, some brilliant storylines. Uh, actually, I mean, I, I was at the Brentford United game last week, and I, I think I've said this a few times now, but that 25 minutes is one of the most astonishing spells of football I've ever seen, which, of course, feeds into Monday night's game. And yeah, and as mm. you say, the, the, the one thing that felt like it could be missing from this season was maybe 
the sense that um, we could have a proper title race. But at the very least, I suppose City have uh, have dropped points in the sports washing derby. Well, even if it ends up, John, being Liverpool, and we'll see, we'll see with Spurs. Even if it does end up being Liverpool and Man City, I think we'd all prefer a season where they're both getting beaten now and again or at least drawing games now and again rather than one of those ones where they're both impeccable and everyone talks about how well-oiled both of these machines are but everyone gets kind of bored with it after a few months. Yeah, I agree. I mean, of, of those seasons, there's been a couple, haven't there, where it, it essentially goes down to a turkey shoot at the end of the season as they, you know, week on week dispatch the likes of Southampton or lesser lights like Manchester United. And... Um, yeah, it, it's it, it has been exciting. Um, I, I mean, I, I saw Liverpool's first game of the season. Uh, they were ropey, shaky, just as they were against Crystal Palace. Um, and I, I only caught the last 15 minutes of Manchester City uh, as I was at West Ham yesterday, but then watched the highlights and City looked open, uh, which, you know, the, the Pep Guardiola isn't able to... Lockdown games, as he as he might like, or he wasn't able to lock down that game. Well, that means that we might have the uh, the beginnings of, of an exciting season. Miguel, you you know whatever about the your concerns over the origins of the wealth of the owners of the two clubs involved in that match yesterday. Hell of a game of football between Newcastle and Manchester City. You got to say that, surely. But I mean, I do have to say though, like when you're watching a game like that, it's it. It's impossible not to keep thinking. Well, this is the entire point of why they've done it. It's so we, it's so we go. Ah, isn't this great? This is what it's all about. And you know, and you do get phrases like, "It's a, what what an advertisement for the Premier League." When actually, it's it's the it's the worst showcase of the Premier League because it's just it actually. And given the weekend that was in it, it really struck me during the game. And I'm, I know you asked me the football, but. I do think this should be the primary focus because we should never lose sight of this. But it really struck me during the game then. You're watching this between Saudi Arabia and Abu Dhabi. Then in the middle of it all, on the other side of the Gulf blockade, which is one of the primary reasons all this is happening, you've got an ad, you've got an ad for Qatar 22. And all this, of course, after um, the Joshua fight last night. And I, I do actually, with both of those teams, it's, it's increasingly agitating me to like to just purely talk about the football because because there is a, a political purpose around here that does ultimately take away from the football. What do you what do you think, John? What do you think? Can you are you at a stage where you can watch that and just be amazed by what you see, or are are you the same as Miguel? Does it does it all seem like uh, uh, like we're missing the larger point by talking about how amazing Newcastle were and you know Haaland scoring and missing chances? Well, I hesitate to say this in the presence of Miguel Delaney, the fighter for uh, truth and justice but yeah I, I, I find myself drawn into games like this maybe I'm a sucker for it listen we're at this point aren't we you know it's 30 years of the Premier League we've had this big celebration recently why was the cel- why was the Premier League set up the Premier League was set up essentially to make more money for football clubs that had been failing businesses and wanted to modernise well uh, 30 years on how do you continue to keep the flow of money well who has the money in the world these days it is those states and those are the people that are ploughing the money in for their own uh ends uh and and with several moral questions against them so we have to do can we accept that i'm minded uh, to agree with miguel that we can't really but when watching that football watching that game um you are reminded that uh 
there are some brilliant players in the Premier League and that, um, okay, if we were to take Newcastle. Now, Newcastle have not yet spent money in the in the uh, in the fashion that we were expected to okay they spent 100 million in 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 january but it seems to me that eddie howe and and those around him at the club appear to be building a team uh and and it appears to me that uh, maybe saudi arabia and the saudi arabian owners and uh, amanda staveley have learned a lesson of how not to do this how manchester city's early years were it was slightly comical because of the likes of Rubinho and so on. And Chelsea's early years were chaotic as well. Newcastle seems a bit more, and I hesitate to use this word, a bit more organic. Uh, and watching that game, I'm actually reminded, I mean, Eddie Howe is someone who's taken a lot of criticism for his um, rather flippant responses to questions of the morals of taking Saudi Arabian money um, and, 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 and several issues like that. But I am reminded that he's actually quite a good manager and that he is a good builder of teams. And if you're a club that's trying to eke your way up, build yourself slowly, Howe is uh, is the right candidate for them. Uh, now, if you'd have brought in a Pochettino or, you know, a Carlo Ancelotti, it would have been a very different club. So I'm going to credit Newcastle with doing things sensibly and playing very well in that game and deserving to get a point out of it and uh, Manchester City who are you know a, 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 a few stratas above maybe have a few questions to answer at the moment are you as impressed with the with the uh, solid patient work being done by Eddie Howe at Newcastle Miguel? Uh, well, on the transfers they did they have been been intent on spending money but they've been conscious that because everyone knows of the takeover since the last October that ultimately the price goes up a lot for for Newcastle and the approach Anything as has been the case with Madison and Leicester, there's a little bit more going on there given kind of the whole shifting sands and Newcastle potentially usurping Leicester's place. So it has meant they've been more restrained. But of course, that's, I think we've, we've already said in the show, that's ironic given that their chairman's other major interest, LIV Golf, are, are, are <laughs> <laughs> yeah. throwing money about wherever. But then <laughs> LIV Golf don't have to contend with financial fair play. That's an element of it. Um, the, the one thing I was struck for from the purely football side uh, is how actually had seemed to make Newcastle more defensively structured. Uh, now, obviously, City opened that because City are very good. Um, but uh, I'm I'm sorry. I genuinely just find it difficult. I think it, it's not it's 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 both. It's not just that it's either of these teams. It's both well, of them well, together. M- and M- what, Miguel, this was. what more? What more can you say? Like you know, on 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 one sense, like you know, it's it's happened. They've come in. There was a lot of commentary around it. And as I said, you know, the, the Saudis are talking about going for the Olympics now, and that they they ultimately want to host an Olympics. And as I said, we're going to we're going to talk about that in more depth. But uh, even to feed my own kind of curiosity on this ahead of having that chat later in the week, what 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 more do you think there is to say about about but, it but, now but, but, that they're but, actually in there and the football is happening but the issue is if we just say if we just kind of keep going ah well, we've said it all now and let's just go oh look, well, that wasn't that great then it just normalizes the whole thing which is the entire point of it and i and i do think whatever about them playing e- each week individually the fact it was these two teams together in this match warrants i think a, a different focus we're, we're sort of left with no choice though like if um you know if you want to talk about the football the football with Saudi Arabia against United Arab Emirates. But, I mean, it, it, how are we getting to the point where the discussion around this shifts, given 
the L- so look at what's happened with LIV Golf, where they're persistently hammered about um, uh, they're persistently hammered about taking the money and 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 getting involved. Now it is it is a different level because because these, it's a competition just set up for the purposes where these are long standing clubs that have basically been been used by by these regimes. But but at what point does that change? Um, well, I think and- it's already changing in, in Live Golf, right? I mean, you know, in terms of like the difference with Live Golf is that they've 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 also got this other um, institution, the PGA Tour, which is a, a sort of a direct rival. So the PGA Tour are, are kind of obviously have a a direct interest in um, in attacking. In, in sustaining, you know, sustaining the attack, as Gary Neville would say, against Live Golf. You know what I mean? Pointing out that, you, you know, they're, they're sort of suing them and they're trying, they're obviously trying to stop them from taking all the golfers. Whereas in the Premier League, you know, there, there's also the issue that, that each individual golfer has made the choice individually to join up with this thing, which, is, which wasn't a choice that was, for instance, presented to Alan yeah. San Maximin. You know, what, you know what I mean? He, no, no, he's, I, I, I agree with that. But he's a Newcastle player. At, at, at what point does that shift? In because with City as well, for basically, let, let's be fair here, for about eight years, the, the whole, we really, no one was really discussing what the ownership actually was. It was just accepted. It was kind of just, you know, uh, Sheikh Mansour, a lot of money, and that's and aren't they changing the game? And it was only really around 2017, 2018, with the work of people like Nick McGeehan, basically, and, and, and specifically, I would say, uh, football leagues that we, that this started to become like the the coverage just started to become much more acute and people were were attuned to the reality of this. Whereas with Newcastle, obviously, it's been such a major issue from the start, and hence there's been so many questions of how because no one can really turn the other way in the same way. Because because City, to be fair, had kind of been normalised. Whereas with Newcastle, it's been it's been in everyone's face so much that um that that suddenly it's it 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 does shift it a bit. Uh, and and, are, and the the ultimate question is it, it's not too far removed from LIV golf. Yeah, well, the I mean, the, the, I think the golf has almost been a problem for Newcastle. I mean, if you look at it in terms of they seem to have been sort of shifted down the priority list a little bit by the fact that you know they're they're giving all this trying all this money at Dustin Johnson or whatever. Um, they they have, however, put together obviously a decent team um, already, uh, and it was a good result against City. Just in terms of what happened here to Man City in this game? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of factors playing into it. Um, there was the, obviously the stadium. You know, seeing a Newcastle team sort of really taking it to to uh, one of the powerful sides in a way that they haven't for for very for many years. Uh, a lot of sort of excitement and emotion, and City did look rattled. But just in a general uh, sort of a point about City, um, I mean, Guardiola after the game was saying, you know, to the interview, well, you know, he, on Sky, he said, um, well, you know, did you enjoy it? And the guy's, oh, it was, it was great. And he goes, well, you know, that's it. So, and, and then walked off smiling uh, like Dr. Spock in The Simpsons as though like, that's, <laughs> that's what I'm here for. I'm here to make guys like you happy. That is not what Guardiola is here for. Guardiola is here to not concede a goal in a game of football. And he conceded three. And this makes him feel very, very sick and wrong when something like that happens to his team. And I just wonder, is there evidence that maybe there's a kind of a structural change in City this season. What I'm saying is, is Erling Haaland going to get the blame for Man City conceding three goals because they have an empty midfield now? Well, I mean, what does Guardiola most want from his number nines usually? It's it's to drop back in and form a kind of a, an auxiliary midfielder to overwhelm the opposition when when they're not there, which, which which is why so many of them have to compromise their role. Whereas Haaland obviously isn't 
going to do that in the same way. You can see it in his touches. And I suppose it does create this issue where suddenly there's there's a gap, or, there, or at the very least, City's midfield is much more open, uh, as, as we saw yesterday. John, what do you think? What happened to City on, on the pitch? I, th- I think, um, I, I've heard a few, a few managers say this, I think they're a bit, uh, they're not quite warmed up for the season just yet. I think they're a bit off it. Uh, and I get the impression that Newcastle are not. That Eddie Howe's, I mean, if I, again, I, I'm going to praise Eddie Howe. Uh, they seem well drilled. Um, the thing that Ken talked about, the spirit in the stadium. Um, yeah, just watching the footage of St James's Park, you know, with its very high stands. Um, it looked like a, you know, as it used to be regarded, you know, back in its 90s golden era, you know, a cathedral of football. And it looks like it is a difficult place to go for, for opposition. Um, but yeah, it, midfield does appear to be a problem. I mean, obviously, Newcastle have a very good player in there, Bruno Guimaraes, um, and uh, Gundogan scored, but I'm not sure he, he had possibly the best game. And yeah, as Ken says, there is that 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 gap at the front. Haaland is going to do one thing for you and he's going to do it very well. He's already got three goals in three games. That's a sort of, uh, that's a, you know, Robert Lewandowski-esque output that's expected of him. But the thing is, Pep Guardiola expects more from players than that. Um we always thought that this was going to be a season where Manchester City might take a while to gel uh, because of that, the, the addition of Haaland and because of the departure of a few other players. And this was one of those games in that they were, they were caught cold again, uh, as I say, by an opponent who appeared motivated and really wanted it. And, and as I say, when I watched those last 15 minutes, you know, I, I, I realised that the score was three all. Manchester City had come back into it and you expect that Manchester City are going to win 4-3. But I didn't see that in that like, last like 15 minutes. I thought some of Manchester City's passing was poor. I thought Newcastle looked like they, they had chances to get away. Uh, and uh, actually, what mentioned before, Alan San Maximum had a brilliant game and absolutely tore Manchester City apart, making great runs through the type of spaces that you'd expect a Guardiola team to close down. Mikel, when we had that chat before the start of the season, Tottenham figured quite highly in terms of the, t- the only team that might challenge City and Liverpool. But did we did we miss the bigger story that's potentially going to happen this season? Arsenal with Gabriel Jesus, who looked just a completely different beast after three games. Um, I mean, the, the, it did build up a little bit in pre-season, I suppose, just some of the momentum. I think we even mentioned in that show about how they'd noticed that Jesus was actually... A, a much better player than they thought for Manchester yes, City. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think there was always a sense that Arsenal were going to start well. Um, the fixtures have been forgiving, so there should be that context. But they've been very good within those fixtures. Um, and I, I suppose the, the, there's still an element of unknown about it in the sense that we don't really know how the battle of top four is going to play out because Chelsea have gone from a great performance one week to a really bad one yesterday. Um, I'm sure we'll get onto that. Um, we're still seeing how it's going to shake down. We we don't know the, the, how the title race has developed. And it does feel like Arsenal right now, ju- only because of just how fi- forgiving their fixtures have been, they could be anything between kind of still fighting for that uh, fourth place to maybe even pushing up to to be second. 
Um, but the, I think the one thing you can say for absolutely certain is there's been really impressive evolution from this team, especially when you consider where they were this time last year. Um, when you consider kind of the, um, the the shape of the team. I mean, one of the things that struck me about the, the Bournemouth game, and this was true of Crystal Palace as well, uh, these are both, uh, Bournemouth more so than Crystal Palace under Scott Parker, uh, but th- these are both teams that can dig in, uh, really good defensive shape, make life difficult for you. And in previous games under Arteta, basically, basically for his entire, the entirety of his first two seasons, Arsenal could have had a game like Saturday, gone out, faced a wall, play, played in that kind of flat lateral passing that they that they had done in a lot of Arteta's first two years and really found it frustrating. Whereas this, they were all angles and lines straight away and scored within five minutes to make it a much easier game. And I think that's one major difference with Arsenal, which is how vibrant their attack seems, particularly with Jesus there, and with the amount of options they have as well. And so, so whatever, whatever, whoever sees, however this plays out, even if this isn't the kind of the, the full Arsenal yet, and we won't really know until they're in kind of big six games and all the rest of it, there's, there's definitely been really impressive evolution. One of the points that I saw being made about this game, John, was uh, I saw, I think it was Ian Ladyman right in the Daily Mail, that Arsenal have imported that winning Manchester City mentality by buying Gabriel Jesus and Alexander Zinchenko. Um, I have to say, Jesus' move for the first goal is like nothing I... I can't remember him ever doing anything like this at Manchester City. Uh, it, the dribble was was inspired. You know, I mean, it, this is what sort of creates the goal and, and sort of sets the tone for the whole game. And he's been doing these types of things in every game so far. He looks like a different player. What do you think is going on there? Do you think he's brought a bit of Manchester City to North London or... Uh, is he is he sort of developing himself uh, away from the sort of uh, quite uh, disciplined sort of system at Manchester City? I think he's brought a bit of Gabriel Jesus to to Arsenal in the sense that um, I remember talking to, to to you you chaps five years ago or so when he had just joined um, Manchester City and you know rhapsodising about how talented this guy was. Uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was a game at West Ham where he just completely cut them to pieces. And that's the player uh, that I'm seeing now. It's like, you know, obviously older, more experienced, more muscular, all the rest of it. But um, he looks that type of player. The handbrake is off. The Guardiola handbrake is off. And the other player, of course, the one that Ian Ladyman referred to, Zinchenko. Uh, who was, you know, utility man at Manchester City, rarely given much creative responsibility because he had players like Kevin De Bruyne around him. Well, he looks a class act, doesn't he? He looks, uh, you know, a, a leader in the team. Um, and uh, the, <laughs> I suppose there, there, there is this thing, isn't there? Uh, when you play for Guardiola, you have to uh, submit to Guardiola. Uh, and, and good players... Um, become Guardiola players. How they become after leaving Guardiola, well, that's what we're seeing now at Arsenal. Um, you do wonder, uh, and we always mention this guy when I'm, I'm talking to you, does Jack Grealish look at that, that and think, wow. that looks much more fun than what I'm going to do here? Just on that, there was, there was an interesting interview with, with Guardiola on Sky yesterday, a few hours before the game. Uh, that uh, Vicky Gubersell did where he talked about how um, he 
when he's presented with players to sign, he, he made this big thing. I'm not interested in their quality. We know the quality. Uh, I don't, don't care about their skill. I only <laughs> yeah. care about whether they're good, good people. But, but, well, I, I, I kind I, of, I thought he was just talking to Harland there again. You know, but sorry, <laughs> what, what point were you going to make? Well, I, I suppose the point being there, ultimately, it's, it's, it's sort of what John's, it's about people who are willing to, you know, subjugate their game for the overall idea. And, and, and hence we come back to, and it's amazing how much this is referenced Guardiola, but it increasingly rings true the longer time goes on, where where Ibrahimovic said he likes schoolboys, basically. People who will yeah. dutifully follow his what he'll do. And I mean, that, that, that does require a selflessness. Uh, I think it speaks to uh, Gabriel Jesus' character, to be fair. Uh, but yeah, but then the offset is, when you're away from it, you probably see... Uh, I mean, it's, it's actually, it's quite an interesting contrast or sorry quite an interesting kind of um career path for players to go down the the choice represents would you be willing to play in a team that doesn't necessarily bring the best out of you as an as an individual but the overall effect will be something potentially historic you know and lots of trophies and, and really maximizes what you want in, in terms of winning, which actually it's it, 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 something that feels all the more relevant given I'm uh, I'm currently reading Matt Dickinson's excellent book on 1999 and and Roy Keane and, the, and that Manchester United team's attitude to all this, or do you would you want a career where you actually fulfil your full potential and what you can be as a player or as an individual, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you'll. Um, that that you'll win as much as you should. And I suppose the ultimate example of that is almost Roberto Baggio. I mean, that, that's a, that's a much bigger theme than what we're talking about, I suppose, with Guardiola. Yeah. But but I, but I think I, I think it is what it kind of boils down to. Yeah. Would you rather reign in hell than serve than serve in heaven? Um, <laughs> I mean, I do, I do think that Jesus. Uh, like I, the one thing that I would say is that I think it probably is greatly to Jesus's benefit. Uh, e- even if okay, he wasn't he wasn't sort of producing dribbles like that when he played for City because. You know, it's it's like pass the ball. You know, so we we pass the ball. There's a player in a better position. Pass the ball to him. Don't don't do that because ultimately that's stupid. I think that the experience of five or five or six seasons or whatever it was altogether at City of being sort of drilled in that is is greatly to his benefit. Like a, like a sort of he's like a, someone who's been classically trained in music and just want, and, and now wants to be like a, a pop star. You know what yeah. I mean? But like yeah. it's it's it, there's this kind of uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it can maybe be two. It can maybe be both things. Both he has kind of he, he has learned a lot from City, but now is actually able to express himself more. Sorry, we could talk about Gabriel Jesus all day here. Um, I see Arsenal are, have been linked with Pedro uh, Neto again. The question, though, at this point is um, uh, there is another player uh, who has who has undergone this same path uh, as Gabriel Jesus, which is Raheem Sterling, and the game for him at Leeds didn't go that well. Um, he actually scored quite a nice goal, which was ruled out, ruled out for offside. Um, but generally, was just part of a Chelsea team that was swept away by Coach Marsh's leads. Thomas Tuchel was there, um, uncomfortably close to the to the proceedings, and able to witness it all. And um, it really seems as though I, I saw there was an amazing stat from Opta. Um, Thomas Tuchel's. This is his 60th game in the league, so they let in 17 goals in the first 30 games, and have let in 34 in the last 30. So something really has has kind of slipped away there. And I mean, we can point obviously to the fact that recently, <laughs> like a bunch of their defenders just walked out of the club, which uh, which is obviously a problem. But clearly, it's been a longer term problem than that. So why do you think 
Tuchel seems to have have lost control, or Chelsea seem to have lost the control they were able to exert on games in in Tuchel's early time there. I was at uh, Chelsea on uh, Friday listening to Thomas Tuchel talk about this Leeds game. And what I found interesting about it is that we barely mention the Leeds game. Uh, I, I think at Chelsea, uh, for understandable reasons, uh, you know, going back to the sanctions, going back to the change of ownership from Roman Abramovich to the Todd Bowley-led consortium, I think, and, and Miguel may will probably be able to confirm this, I think there's a bit of a lack of focus at Chelsea. Uh, I'm not, not all is well. Um, everything seems to be happening at once. All these transfer uh, transfers coming in and players leaving, as you said, um, and they seem a little bit in flux. And as you, th- those stats are quite stark, aren't they? Uh, when Tuchel arrived at the club, he was brought in to add solidity to a team, uh, uh, something that Frank Lampard had not been able to provide. They're not a solid team at the moment. Uh, their games tend to be chaotic and I think that reflects what's going on behind the scenes um, and I think that Tuchel uh, as good a manager as he is uh, and as good a talker as he is actually I should say uh, things seem to be going uh, a little wrong for him um, and you you see him after the game and he was uh, fairly phlegmatic about the whole thing wasn't he um, I should I should at that point though just to finish uh, credit Leeds, who were excellent in that game. Let's let's just say that. J- just on that as well, I I also think that's relevant to why they were so good against Tottenham. And to be honest, like their first half performance against Tottenham, I'd almost put as one of the displays of the season so far. Uh, mm. But I think that's because it was almost like Tottenham gave them an easy thing to focus on. It's it's a local rival, a team they always beat, and suddenly there was all this sort of talk that Tottenham are going to do them. There's going to be kind of a, a chain, a shift in London. And it, w- it was just a very easy thing to rally for, to show them who's boss. They put yeah. in that performance, it ends the way it does, with more chaos, as John refers to, more distractions. And then essentially means they go into uh, this Leeds game uh, undercooked. Yeah, although, did you see Wolves in the first half against Tottenham? Yeah, they were excellent, weren't they? They looked absolutely yeah. incredible. I mean, they, they totally dominated Tottenham, is what I'm saying. And it, when when you see, I mean, Chelsea are you know have similar... Or Wolves, rather, don't have players on the level of Chelsea, you know, in most positions. Uh, although they do have a lot of good players. I mean, they had their front six against Tottenham was all Portugal internationals. So we're talking about decent, uh, a decent sort of ball-playing side. And they were just like a very typical Portuguese team that's really good at keeping the ball and just can't score, just has no idea how to score. And eventually Tottenham were able to get the goal and win the match. But the combination of that, of, of the experience of that first half and what happened to them at Chelsea, I'm, I'm talking about Tottenham here, does make me wonder if this Tottenham team, if I've if I've been among those uh, uh, sort of blind to their failings a little bit. Like this is a team which is, you know, the, uh, Conte is obviously a very good manager, particularly in, in finding ways to win individual matches and, and sort of getting that sort of uh, real kind of night between the teeth attitude uh, from the squad. Uh, and they do have good defenders and they've got a good attack, but the midfield gets outplayed. Uh, and maybe the system um, doesn't have enough players in the middle. You know what I mean? They, they, they've got this kind of great structure. Uh, you know, they've got the three defenders and the wing backs and then the, the front three. But the bit in the middle 
is a problem based on on their recent matches and does you know a team that can that gets dominated in games for long periods like that it's hard to see a team like that winning the league um yeah i have to say i've, been, I've, I've actually been slightly surprised with how um lax tottenham have been because of the the probably in their in their well, in their six halves of football so far, there's probably only been two halves, I think, where they've been particularly convincing or look like what everyone said they should be, which was the second half against Southampton and the second half against Chelsea. Um, now, you, you, you could, you could, you know, point to kind of traditional line that this is just, um, you know, it, it, it's a team getting results when they're not particularly playing well, that it's, it's, it's gradually coming together for Conte. Uh, but certainly, I, it was a phrase I used at the start of the season. They're not yet the, the, uh, the small war machine that he's spoken of in the past, that they're kind of, they're cranking along a little bit and, 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 you know, getting out of it with some kind of big artillery shots, mostly from Harry Kane, uh, who saved him twice now. Um, and I mean, uh, you you could point to kind of some individual drop offs at the moment. It it could be like a son is a big one in that regard. It could be maybe that a lot of teams have because of the World Cup they've come back quite early. It's possible that that's had an effect. Um, but also, I mean, they're still what they're still seven points yeah. um, level with Manchester City, two behind Arsenal. Um, so they they've grounded out. But yeah, I I think it's just surprising from the different perspective. I think everyone expected much more momentum from uh, and much more conviction to the Spurs team uh, right now, g- given all the talk going into the season. Miguel, you're on your way to Manchester after this conversation, I believe. What are you expecting to see there tonight? <laughs> I mean, it's at the point where it could genuinely be, be anything. Uh, um, bar maybe a convincing Manchester United win in which they play in Eric Ten Hag's Glorious idea. <laughs> I, I, I think that's the one thing I would rule out. Well, I'm looking forward to the big, yeah. I'm looking forward to the big Ten Hag interview that they've been flagging. Actually, this guy it was it Neville and Carragher. I think sat down yeah. with Ten Hag, so that should be it'd be interesting to see that full one. But sorry, Miguel, go on. But yeah, but I mean, one of the most captivating moments of the game is probably the first time that D- David De Gea has to, has to pass out from the back. Mm. Because what's going to happen there? What's that going to say? Uh, given given how difficult they found it against Brentford last week, and it, it does create an interesting dilemma for this game in the sense that, I mean, Ten Hag is obviously trying to implement a greater overall ideal here, which takes time, takes patience. You can you know you can draw parallels with Pep Guardiola uh, six years ago when he immediately dropped Joe Hart and and, and you know insisted to John Stones to ignore everyone in the crowd, just keep pay, playing the ball from the back. But even that city, they had a much greater grounding in all this. Than, than Manchester United there, where it was Manchester United now, it's if, and I think this is actually true, it's if some of them have never played in this sort of system before, uh, certainly not as a group, which which is remarkable. So they're much further back along the educational process. And like, you know, when, when you hear kind of coaches talking this way about games, one of the rationales is always that you have to play through these games, no matter how challenged you are, because this is how you truly learn a system. But of course, mm. United don't really have that luxury, because if we try and do that tonight and get hammered, then we're really into you know, a crisis goes to whatever the next step is from a crisis because it could get yeah. really, it could get really ugly, which means it, it just feels like the, the logical step tonight is to just do a Mourinho. Um, yeah. Well, they're not going to do that though. But, but but equally, you know, Liverpool can't do what Brighton and Brentford did to them. You know, Liverpool have got different strengths, but they're not going to do what Brighton and Brentford did, which is sort of uh, rain down high balls on the left side and, you know, not, not do any build-up from the back themselves. Um, you know, and 
like maybe in a way this this kind of suits United more, you know, to play against opposition like this. And we've seen the fact that obviously Liverpool themselves haven't really been uh, haven't really hit hit peak form. I'd say so far this season, John. I mean, you saw them looking fairly rickety at Fulham and all that. You know, the the, the sort of like desperation is a hell of a drug in football. You know, I, I I'll, <laughs> I'll never forget Ireland against Czech Republic after the uh, after after Ireland lost five two to Cyprus. And uh, we played against the Czech Republic, who were then pretty good. You know, they had they'd just been in the Euros um, final not long previously. They had you know Jan Jan Koller, and we had Paul McShane, and they absolutely you know I I, I still I still remember that as like you know in football um, a team that's really determined to you know show that they're better than recent results is capable of of raising it. Did the Czech Republic not beat us that, that night? It was one all, Owen. Kevin Gilbert scored, one and then one almost all. immediately Paul McShane made his only mistake of the I, night in allowing Ian Collar to score. Yeah, no, I recall McShane. But one all was a good result, Owen, yeah. in, the, in the context well, of the time. I got you. Yes, John? Uh, well, one all would be an excellent result for Manchester United. You've got to say that, haven't you? Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, well, you said I, 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 mean, I did see Liverpool at Rickety against Fulham, but I was sat next to Miguel at Brentford, and uh, mm-hmm. I think I said to you, that I'd witnessed the worst Manchester United performance I'd ever seen at Crystal Palace at the end of last season. The well, only that, way is up. The only way is the, up, John. Well, the, well, the, that, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, so, so the approach you're asking for, Ken, is some sort of Alex Ferguson on steroids, motivational level from Eric Ten Hag, uh, the the almost like a revisiting of. Uh, United ending Arsenal's 49 game unbeaten. Remember that game the, yeah. where they essentially kicked him off the pitch? And then the game against Chelsea when Fergie was under the most pressure I can remember. Uh, Darren Fletcher scores a winner. That type of you know great yeah. night where Old Trafford gets behind him and roars the team straight through to it. Straight through to this win and everyone celebrates. Everyone's back together. This is Manchester United and we're back. But this is not that Manchester United. And uh, in Eric Ten Hag, I see uh, a technocrat whose uh, communication level, particularly in press conferences, uh, listen, we can't speak to how how he comes across to the players, but um, when we look at how the team are playing, it doesn't appear his message is getting across, does it? Um, Now, in in the uh, Eredivisie, does a team like Ajax have to face out games like that I'd suggest not this is almost like a new discipline for Ten Hag isn't it um, since the days of being at go ahead Eagles or whatever um, this I mean it, it looks beyond him but if he pulls it off then he's he's got a he's got a rung on the ladder um, I'd be very surprised to see it uh, I think he's going to have to if he can do play on Liverpool's own self-doubts about themselves because the mood music I get from Liverpool so far this season, there's a lot of doubts. There seems to be a rather over-obsession with officials and stuff like that when the team actually isn't playing that well. Um, if this if this was a different time and it was for Manchester United uh, and, and, and maybe under a, under a different regime, they might look at this Liverpool game and think, we can get at these. But as I say... This isn't that Manchester United. Okay, enjoy the game, John and Miguel. Thanks so much. Thanks, lads. Cheers. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. It's a beautiful summer's day. The breeze is stupendous. 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 Would this podcast be even more stupendous without ads? Without ads? Ads. If so, then join us for daily commercial-free shows at secondcaptains.com for just five euro a month. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not bumping them up. I'm not Irish. I'm just saying my observations, they are amazing. Stupendous. Stupendous. That was an interesting point made by Miguel there early in that chat just about People saying that Newcastle Man City was a great advert for all oh, that's brilliant about the Premier League, and mm. Miguel feels it's the exact opposite that it's a prime example of sports washing doing its thing. It's something we'll pick up on in much more detail later in the week. We're going to do a piece. I mentioned this to World Service members last week with Martin Ziegler, chief sports reporter of the Times. He's been writing a lot about what the Saudis are doing. In fact, their sports minister, the Saudi sports minister, said yesterday that the ultimate goal is to host the Olympics. So there's a lot going on there between Live Golf and Newcastle. Infantino at the Joshua game. The Olympics. Infantino was at the Joshua. He was sitting next to Mohammed bin Salman. Yeah, well, there so, you go. Yeah, so pretty uh, pretty high profile a little placing. Strand to things there. Ken, quick Manchester United Liverpool prediction, please. Whoa. What's going on? Um, I think a, a show of defiance. Um, a show of defiance from Manchester United uh, uh, and, a, and a fighting draw. <laughs> you don't sound convinced wow. by that, but I thank you for your... I actually thought you'd just run out of energy there. <laughs> you completely... No, 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 no. You I were mean, like the guy uh, trying to finish the triathlon of that YouTube uh, clip there. That's basically no, no. what you were. I remember thinking, like, you know, you know, remember that the, the Liverpool beat them 5-0 and 4-0 last season. Um, I'm thinking... I remember watching five the game thinking, nil and four nil. How did I think That's this was unbelievable? I know, but you know, it's it's it it starts again at nil this time, um, and thinking, you know, how did I really think this was in doubt? That there was never really any doubt about how, how this was going to turn out. But I do, I I don't have that type of confidence about Liverpool at this point of the season. They haven't won a game yet. They've looked, you know, a bit loose, and you know if they were in if they if they were coming to this game having won you know four or five matches in a row then you think well they they've kind of hit their stride now um but i don't think they have yet so uh i suppose it's a big it's a big test for them i mean if they lose they're going to be behind united mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it's like then it's then it's going then things are going to kick off there you know it's incredible just how the sort of pressure can be transferred and ten hag e- equally if winning the game would really redeem the the start of the season would give people the sense that no hang on we actually can do something here things can things can happen for us so there's a lot for them to play for and they do have you know individually good players even if it hasn't been shown for uh, for some time so that's why um, I can't really I don't I don't have that confidence that Liverpool will go and uh, 
Yeah. What? Why? What? What do you think? Rash them again. Three nil Liverpool. Three nil. And you? That's an improvement. I do think it's a. Go- I do think it's a good thing that Liverpool for Man United that Liverpool haven't got a win. I know you can spin it two ways and say that Liverpool desperately need one now at this early mm. stage of the season, and maybe they'll be buoyed by Man City, uh, you know, dropping points and all that sort of stuff. But I actually feel like if I'm Manchester United, I'd rather play Liverpool in searching for form than a rampant Liverpool who are swatting everyone aside and are you know kind of going to. Like I remember that whatever I can't quite remember what I was thinking before the five 0 but I remember before that four 0 last season it was just guaranteed that Liverpool were going to hammer Man United that day. That was the sense that uh, I remember everyone having before mm. the match. Whereas but I don't, that, quite, that was, ha- I don't was, quite have that now. Even you had United the really established so sort of form lines going to yeah, that. You know, yeah. United have just been having a terrible time. Liverpool were going for the league and had been winning and winning. So. Um, that's not really the case this time around. No, so I, do, I do still think Liverpool will win though. If you're going to push me for prediction, I, I mean, often push you. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, pff, why not an amazing game like a three-two or something like that? I'll say three-two, three-two. Liverpool. We'll see, okay. see what happens there. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Post-match reaction show available for World Service members only. So join up now on secondcaptains.com if you want to become a member and hear that one. You'll also hear all our podcasts ad-free if you become a member of the Second Captains World Service. And of course, Second Captains is a part of the ACAST Creator Network. the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.